Hello, and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. So hey, if you have your Bibles or phone, uh, the scripture is going to be on the screen. Um, I'm going to read our scripture this morning from John chapter 4, verses 43 through 54. So in verse 43, it says, At the end of the two days, Jesus went on to Galilee. He himself said that a prophet is not honored in his own hometown. Yet the Galileans welcomed him. For they had been in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration and had seen everything he did there. As he traveled, traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana, where he had turned water into wine. There was a government official, official nearby Capernaum, whose son was very sick. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. Jesus asked, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? The official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. Then Jesus told him, go back home. Your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said and started home. While the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them when the boy had begun to get better. And they replied, yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. Then the father realized that that was the very time Jesus had told him, your son will live. And he and his entire household believed in Jesus. This was the second miraculous sign Jesus did in Galilee after coming from Judea. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Good morning. How are you? Good to see you. I missed you last week, both of you who were here. <laughs> um, we, were, we were in New York, which is my favorite city in the world. So if I look like I'm happy, that's why. Uh, it was really fun. Um, it's a fun thing. I have a, uh, my Monday morning pastor that I talk about, Adam Russell. He's a, he's a friend, and he has this phrase where he says, whenever he gets back from a trip, he says, it's good to go, but better to come home. And this was one of the first times I've experienced that, which might seem weird. I love New York so much, and normally I'm leaving like, oh, God, please let me live there. Um, but I was really good to come home. It was better to come home this time. So a new change in me. Um, uh, I've had some questions. If you follow me on Instagram, uh, no, we did not take out a second mortgage for food, uh, though it came close. Uh, we really like share every meal. Uh, that's why we all don't weigh four trillion pounds uh, when we come home. We also walk a lot. Um, but it, we had a blast. It was very rainy in the city. Uh, we thought about going to the beach, and then the hurricane stuff happened, and we were like, "Oh, thank God, we're not going to the beach." And then all of you who went to the beach, it was like perfect. And then we got a lot of rain in New York, but. 
It was still good. My mom is a trooper, Huck, uh, for his birthday. His birthday was last Sunday, and all he wanted for his birthday was to spend a whole day in Chinatown. Have you ever been to Chinatown, anyone? Okay. It is is specific. And um, (laughs) and my mom (laughs) spent an entire day in the rain in Chinatown, and so I just wanted to publicly acknowledge. You can clap if you want. Like, I did, yeah, she was great. (laughs) She was great. Um, It it was a blast. I took her to a place called the Chinatown family fun center which is definitely not for families but it's fun <laughs> so uh we we had a really good we had a really good time um something it, this happens here but i noticed it more in the city like um, when it rains for like days after days after days you know how there's like this I don't know, like a fog that kind of settles on wherever you are, like just that gloomy thing. And if you've been to New York City, it's not like people there are, are happy. Um, so they're mostly just in a hurry or bothered with you. So, but but that fog, like that rainy fog made uh, a not friendly place even less friendly. Like it just, it just felt like angsty and I don't know. It, it, it was just like a thick angst in the city like I've never really experienced before. But um, on Wednesday, uh, Daniel and the boys and I went. We were down in the village uh, eating pizza like we were doing about every 11 minutes of our trip. And, um, and the rain finally broke for a little while. And the sun sort of came out. It was still kind of cloudy. But we were like, oh, my gosh, it's not raining. we got to get outside somewhere. And so we went to uh, Washington Square Park, which is one of our favorite places. If you've been there, it's so beautiful. And um, the same kind of people are always there. Tracy lived there, like, on the park. It's NYU's campus, like, surrounds. It's sort of like the quad. Is that fair to say, Tracy? Like, the quad of NYU's campus. And... Um, Tracy went to NYU in acting. You should know that. That's an important information. Yeah, yeah. Another applause, please. Um, so, uh, so there's college students everywhere, and there's tourists, and then there's, like, locals with their dogs who are always, like, super cute. Uh, lots of people doing drugs on the benches. It's just the same people. Every time you kind of you see the same thing. And, and this is the same for us today, so we're just sort of wandering around. But there's usually music. A lot of One time, Daniel and I happened upon... It was an NYU professor and his students, and they put together like, sorry, hold on, this is me. They put together like a full, they were just like, it was gorgeous. So there's always music and stuff like that. And so we heard somebody playing, and so we're just sort of like following the music, like trying to figure out uh, who's there. Um, but what we find, I actually never saw the musician, though his, his music was lovely, uh, because I saw this guy blowing bubbles. And I don't even know how to describe He had like little bamboo sticks and string in between the sticks, and he had some sort of magic potion. And he would just like pull these sticks out and these bubbles were like enormous. I, I don't, I've never seen anything like it. They were just absolutely huge. I found out later that he calls himself Uncle Bubbles, which was a little creepy. Um, he also was a co-writer on the song Informer, like Informer. Da, da, da. Okay, that's, that's just for free. So, um, but, so Uncle Bubbles is out there with his bubbles, but he has this whole like... Um, I don't know, service, I'm moving the wrong ways, I'm so sorry. Um, He has this whole service like to the city and to the community, community that he calls Bubble Love Nation. And that's what it felt like. Like we had been in this like thick cloud of gloom for days and days and days, um, huddled in doorways, trying to stay out of the rain. And then all of a sudden we're out and the rain has broken and the bubbles have appeared and they're sparkly and they're huge and it's bubble love nation. And it just felt like the angst was broken by like hope and the angst was broken by joy and the angst was broken 
by laughter. I don't know. It was, it was holy. It was just, it was just this amazing moment. Like, um, it, it, I don't know. For a moment, it felt like good was intersecting all those. Like everybody was stopping. The students were stopping. And the tourists were stopping. And the drug dealers were stopping. And everybody was stopping. And everyone was laughing. And it was incredible. Like I'm trying to find words for it still. It was so incredible. Do you have moments like this in your life where the good feels like it intersects and overtakes the bad? It doesn't just like go through the bad. It like overtakes uh, what's bad. Or, or when hope like bursts right in the middle of something very scary. Uh, the, the Celtic Christians, they call this thin moments, moments when hev- the veil between heaven and earth feels really, really thin. For the last few weeks, we've been talking, um, really, honestly, for the last few months, we've been talking, uh, we hope, really intentionally and specifically about Jesus. And we've used the uh, rabbinical idea of dust to talk about this. Um, and, and so our hope has been that we would, for Uh, weeks and weeks and weeks, put ourselves in such close proximity with Jesus that the dust of his sandals would cover us, that that we uh, would be covered from head to toe in the things of Jesus. Uh, Last week, Chad took us to new levels in that covering. If you were here, and again, most of you weren't, and it's fall break, that's fine. Um, But if you were not here, please, like, I don't do this very often, but please go back and listen to the podcast because what he said was so incredibly important, um, honestly, uh, really difficult. Like, I want to use every word I know to tell you how important that sermon uh, was. Here's how important that sermon is. I asked Chad to do it when I was out of town because I couldn't handle being in a room hearing it because it exposes something so vulnerable in me that I wasn't sure I could sit and listen in a room full of people <laughs> to it. So I hope that doesn't scare you. I hope that encourages you. It was phenomenal. But he, he talked about how being in close proximity with Jesus leads us to uh, pray for and forgive our enemies, and it was fantastic. So, um, But that's been our hope. Our hope has been to put ourselves in close proximity with Jesus in a way that forms us and in a way that shapes us and challenges us and stretches us, um, that transforms us into people of the kingdom. And so we've talked about it in loads of ways. We've talked about Jesus and friendship and forgiveness and belonging and non-anxious presence, so many different things. But today, as we're kind of rounding the corner about to end this series, I want to talk about uh, Jesus and signs and wonders. Um, that's the phrasing that John uses in the story that we read today, signs and wonders. Uh, we see that phrasing um, in a variety of different places in the New Testament. Uh, the word that I hear uh, most often or some of the translators have used is miracles. That's the word we use a lot of times for signs and wonders. Um, but I like signs and wonders better because signs point to something, right? They point to something beyond themselves. And, and signs and wonders, they always do this. They always point beyond themselves to the power and the presence of God, to his kingdom, his kingdom uh, invading the world in the name of love and in the name of hope and in the name of renewal and refreshing and resurrection. So signs to me feels like a wider view of what Jesus was doing than the word miracle, Uh, My other problem with the, I don't hate the word miracle. We can use it. But my other problem with it is that um, miracles, there's something about the word miracle that has this connotation of a God that's absent. Um, I was listening to N.T. Wright on this, and he was talking about this. I was like, yes, that's how it feels, is is that uh, the the connotation in the word miracles is of a God who, who is absent, but then for a moment, like, steps into the world and does something wild and something unexpected, something miraculous, but then kind of steps out again. 
and goes away again. Miracles become the exception, uh, not the rule. And I struggle with this view, uh, because, and I think the early Christians would have struggled with this view because to them, uh, to the early Christians, to the writers of the gospels, to the early church, uh, God was not seen as some sort of like absent creator. He was seen as someone, a creator who was deeply involved and active and present in his creation. He was a God who did unexpected and surprising things, absolutely, but he was not a God whose presence was unexpected or surprising. He was a God whose presence was assumed. To the early Christian, God's presence was assumed and it was accessible. The power of God, it wasn't something out there to call in every once in a while. Rather, the power of God uh, exists within the presence of God and his presence is always with us. Therefore, his power is always accessible. So I'll still say miracles some today and in the future, but, but signs are really what I mean. Uh, wonders are what I mean because I very much believe in the God of presence, the God whose power surprises me, but always points me back to his continual presence, not his absence. Uh, signs, they point beyond themselves to the kingdom of God, uh, opening up and infiltrating the world with presence and power. I want to quote N.T. Wright on this. Uh, Again, he has really shaped a lot of my thinking on it. He says this. He says, The whole point of signs is that they are moments when heaven and earth intersect with each other. That's what the Jews believed happened in the temple. The point is not that they're stories that couldn't have happened in real life, but stories which point away from earth into a heavenly reality. Uh, I think for a lot of my life, miracles were simply something bigger than life, uh, not something that pointed to the active presence of the kingdom here and now on earth. So I want to do two things uh, with our time, the rest of our time this morning. I want to talk about signs and wonders within the context of our, our story and within the context of the Gospel of John, where it takes place. And then uh, I want to take what we learned there and apply it uh, to our own lives and what it might matter for us uh, today. So uh, first, the book of John. Um, some scholars, uh, when they write about John, they divide the book of John into two different chapter, or two different groupings, kind of, two different uh, books. Uh, the first one is uh, chapters 1 through 12. The second one is chapters, honestly, it's 12 through 20, and then they let 21 be like an epilogue. Uh, if you've read it, it's sort of John's send-off. But two main books, um, and, and part one, uh, chapters 1 through 12, is called the Book of Signs, and part two, chapters 12 through 20, is called the Book of Glory. Uh, and and, and the, the idea and the word sign, especially in those first uh, chapters of John, uh, that is, it's incredibly important to John. It's what he's writing about. The word sign uh, matters to him. He, and, and when he uses the word sign, when John uses the word sign, uh, he uses it to talk about times that Jesus did what Jesus said he would do. Those are what he means by signs. Uh, really early on in his book, uh, John, uh, every, all the gospels kind of record when Jesus called his disciples. But John includes this really specific moment between Jesus and Nathaniel uh, that the other gospel writers don't include. Uh, and and uh, basically, Jesus comes to Nathaniel and he tells him, he like calls out all of this amazing stuff in Nathaniel. And Nathaniel's like, and he's like, how do you know all this? And he just says, he calls, he chooses him as his rabbi and says, you are God. And it's this incredible moment, and, and he's so wowed by what Jesus says. And then Jesus looks at Nathaniel, and he goes, oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. That's my translation, not the NLT. Um, 
he says, oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. You will, this is what it actually says. You will see greater things than what I just said to you. You will see the heavens open and meet the earth through me. That's what he says. You will see the heavens open and meet the earth through me. For John, signs or signposts are his evidence that what Jesus said was true. Signs that Jesus is doing what he promised Nathaniel he would do. That Jesus is opening the heavens and pouring them out into the earth. That's what signs and wonders are for John. Uh, For John Wimber, who was the founder of uh, the Vineyard Church, he says this. He says, signs and wonders are authenticators of the gospel. They are showing that what Jesus said came true. It is true. For John, uh, the writer and the disciple, he treats them much in the same way. Moments, uh, for him, signs are moments when heaven opens and bursts with the love of God, invading the plane of earth, just as Jesus said that it would do. Moments that feel uh, like giant sparkly bubbles in Washington Square Park right after the rain. Uh, John, he includes seven signs in the book of signs. So in the first 12 chapters, he includes seven different signs um, from Jesus. Uh, The first is in chapter 2, when Jesus turns water into wine. Uh, The second is our text today, when he heals the official's son in chapter 4. The third in chapter 5 is Jesus healing the paralyzed man. Um, Number 4 and 5 both take place in chapter 6, and we've talked about them extensively over the last few weeks, feeding the 5,000 people and then Jesus walking on the water with his disciples. Uh, Number six is when Jesus heals the man born blind. And then number seven is uh, in chapter 11, right at the end of that book of signs, um, when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And uh, in his commentary, John N.T. Wright says that John sets up uh, his gospel like a treasure hunt of signs. That he's saying, look, this is what we're looking for. We're looking for when what Jesus said and what he did are the same when the, when the truth is being done. And he in the first two, when he sets them up, he kind of puts them up on a tee for us so that we don't miss them. It's sort of, have you ever done a, a, a treasure hunt for, I, Daniel and I do treasure hunts randomly for our kids, like for gifts and stuff. Because um, I like to take fun things and just really blow them out of the water to the point they're not even fun anymore. Um, but most of the time, But when you do a treasure hunt, especially for a kid, the unspoken rule is that you always make the first two clues the easiest, right? So that you hook them and then they want to keep going. And that's kind of what John does. And in his first sign and his second sign, he tees them up and he's like, hey, these are signs. These are them. If, if, if you're looking for clues of heaven opening and invading the earth, look here. It's, it's like the second to last verse in our time today. He says, this is the second sign of Jesus. He like says them very clearly. John, he takes the signs and wonders of Jesus very seriously. And I think he means for us to do the same thing. To John, these aren't, aren't only or merely spiritual legends. And they aren't only or merely stories pointing to greater realities. Uh, they are moments where heaven breaks open and pours into earth. Evidence of the kingdom of God at work to, in our world and exposing the presence of the future now. For John, uh, signs and wonders are heavenly moments that we have access to now. So let's look specifically at our story from today in John 4. Uh, Jesus and his friends, they go back to Jesus' hometown of Galilee for Passover. And as Jesus returns to this first spot of his very first sign, uh, a man comes to speak to him. John tells us that he's a government official and that he's traveled from a nearby town because he'd heard about Jesus. And the man tells Jesus about his child who's sick and who's going to die. And the man asks Jesus, will you come home with me and will you heal my boy? 
And it's not lost on me that the man finds Jesus in the place where Jesus had turned water into wine. The man had surely heard the story of Jesus. And so he's returning uh, to this scene of the wonder, the scene of the sign, uh, because that had to have grown uh, faith in this man for healing for a son. I'm going to go back to the place where Jesus did it once and maybe he'll do it again. Like, and it is there, he says, please come home with me and heal my boy. If you've ever had a sick child, then, then you can read the desperation and the risk of hope that this man has. And then Jesus answers curiously because he always does. He says, will it take a sign and wonder for you to believe? Uh, Eugene Peterson in the message version says, must you be dazzled by a miracle to believe? And I read that and I'm like, oh, It feels kind of offensive, but the man doesn't quit. He just keeps going. He says, please, my son. And Jesus tells him, go home. Your son will be healed. The story goes on, and we find out once again that what Jesus said uh, became true. This man, he believes Jesus, so he returns home, and his son is healed at the exact same time that Jesus declared it was so. Sign number two, the kingdom invading the earth in the exact same spot as the first one. Like, there's something, uh, probably everyone in the town is like, there's something magic about this spot. I instantly, like, start to put on my uh, marketing brain. I'm like, hope they made coffee mugs and keychains or something to, like, this is the spot where it happened two times, you know. So, anyway, uh, uh, we have two things in the story that I want to talk about. We have the intersection of heaven and earth, the infiltration of God's kingdom on the plains of the physical world, uh, so, so powerful that a boy on his deathbed is healed. And number two, we have a father who finds the treasure. Uh, the boy, he is healed, not by anything fancy or dazzling, but by a word. That just like struck me so much today. It's not, there's not like, you know, explosions and bubbles and sparkles. It's, it's a word. Jesus says the word and he's healed. Go home and your son will live and then he does. Through the words of Jesus, the finger of God touches the boy and God's presence and power fills him to the point that he's healed. It's dazzling in its own way, and it, and it points to deeper truths about life for sure, but beyond anything else, it's a moment where the physical space that this young boy was in had more of the stuff of heaven, more of the stuff of the kingdom than it did the minutes before. And that happened after his father believed. A man who believed so surely in the power of the presence of God in Jesus that he went home with only a word, A man who experienced that word becoming flesh then finds the treasure. It's important that we don't miss this because before the miracle happens, the man walks home believing Jesus. I can't make a case that it's always this way in the scripture. Some people have. I just can't. Uh, The order isn't always the same. Sometimes people experience the miracle and then they believe. Sometimes people believe and then they experience the miracle. Uh, like, Like what's happening here. But regardless of the case, the treasure of the miracle, the treasure of the sign remains uh, the same. The intersection of heaven and earth is always in Jesus. And Jesus is always the treasure in every sign. It's always him. He's always the treasure. For John and the other gospel writers, the sign every single time leads to the treasure. And every single time that treasure is Jesus. So what does that have to do with us? Why do we believe and practice and ask for and look for the signs and wonders of the kingdom? 
for this reason, because they reveal the treasure. Because they reveal the treasure, the signs they point beyond themselves to the power and presence of God bursting into the world and the work and the wonder of the kingdom. Uh, John Wimber, again, founder of the Vineyard, I want to quote him. I'm going to quote him a lot in the next few minutes. He says that signs and wonders are how our unbelief is overcome. That it is in an encounter with something outside of this world that fuels our faith and blazes uh, our belief. Signs, they don't end on themselves. They always reveal the treasure. It's why when you watch, have you ever been watching TV and you see um, a TV preacher with like his Rolexed arm and in this like wild hype moment, he'll ask for an offering and then heal somebody that's desperate, you know, and you see that and you're like, I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with that. That, that. that feeling in you is because the sign always points to the treasure. And for some people, uh, the treasure is a Rolex. You know, sometimes that's true for me. I don't have a Rolex. It, the, the treasure is, I don't know, shoes. Anyway, um, the sign always points to the treasure. And for some people, the treasure is the Rolex. But for the Spirit of God, the treasure is always more of Jesus. Always, always, always more of the kingdom. Always, every time. And so as people who long for more of the good stuff of heaven to fill the plains of the world, as, as people who are longing for treasure, I think we have to, as John does, take seriously signs and wonders and their ability to grow our faith and belief in the God who is still very much filling the world with more of him. And so I think... Um, as I thought about this for myself, I was like, you know, I think that a lot of times I think of miracles or signs and wonders as more like a spiritual legend than uh, a, a reality of the day in and day out. Like things maybe you are like me, things that we think are really cool and maybe even believe are possible sometimes, but are more exceptions to the rule. Or like the stuff of like really spiritual people or charismatic people, um, they're like things for Chad to do, Right? Like, like that man going to Cana where he heard about this miraculous thing that happened. So he went to the spot to grow his faith more. You might believe more in things like this when Chad is around. I do. I definitely do. Actually, I think that's part of the gifting on Chad's life and part of his gifting here at our church is, uh, is that Jesus uses him to grow our faith. But what Jesus has been teaching me is that Chad can't hunt for the treasure for me. And Chad can't hunt for the treasure for you. I want more of Jesus and more of his kingdom than I want anything else in the world. I want the treasure, and it's mine to find. The truth is the planes of our physical world, uh, they are busted. Our world and our days are in desperate need of hope and renewal and reconciliation and resurrection. They're in desperate need of the intersection of heaven and earth and the kingdom of God. Our, our neighborhoods are. They need it. Our schools are. I thought this morning, I was like reading through the sermon and I just thought, man, the last two weeks have been a breath of not worrying about what's happening in the school. The, the, the places where we live and work and learn and play, these places need God's presence and they need his power and they need his kingdom to burst into them, the heavens to open and to pour into them. They need the signs and wonders that point to the treasure. And as kingdom people, we believe the treasure's near, that we have access to it. And so I think opening ourselves up to more of Jesus and more of his kingdom means opening ourselves up uh, in a greater way to uh, the belief and the practice of signs and wonders.
the belief and practice of asking for more of the kingdom to come in this world and then waiting uh, expectantly for it to happen. And sometimes that will be dazzling and miraculous. And sometimes it's going to mean more work for us and more imagination for us and creativity uh, to work the ground and bring order wherever we can. And sometimes it's going to be hilarious. I don't have time, but soon I want to tell you about when Justin's knee got healed and he got mad at me. And it was hilarious, but it happened. Theologians uh, define the kingdom of God as wherever the rule and reign of God spreads. And I don't know about you, but I want that everywhere. I want that everywhere I go. Everywhere. I think part of the trouble of um, believing that the way that the world ends is that all the Christians get sucked into heaven and then the world blows up is, is that it, it means that people don't have like super value about what God is doing and how God is renewing the world now. And like the scriptures, they don't teach that. The scriptures don't tell a story of Christians getting sucked into the sky and the world getting blown up. They tell stories of signs and wonders that point to what is coming. Uh, They tell stories of the heavens opening up and pouring themselves into the earth. And that one day that will happen once and for all. It will be renewed once and for all, restored once and for all, resurrected once and for all, put back to its original design once and for all. But they also tell the stories that it's happening now too. It's happening now. And I figure we might as well join that party. It sounds more fun. Then sucked in the sky, blowing up. I want to quote our founder, John Wimber, two more times. I have to quote these separately because they didn't take place in the same book, but they really are similar, so I wish they would have. But So the first quote says this. He says, Jesus came not only to bring the kingdom of heaven to others, but to impart it in us as well. And then this is part two in a different book. He says, whatever God wants to give through us, he first has to do to us. We are the first partakers of the fruit, but we are not to eat the the seed. We are to sow it and to give it away. Jesus came to bring the kingdom of heaven into the earth. And part of that plan was to impart that kingdom into us, to do in us what Jesus was doing all over the world. And then we as Jesus followers get to partake in the fruit of joy and hope and love of renewal and resurrection and reconciliation in our own lives at every single level. But the seeds of those things are not ours to keep. The seeds of those things are ours to sow in all of the places we live, work, learn, and play. They aren't just ours to take. They're also ours to give. And sowing the seeds of the kingdom um, in the Gospels happens in two ways. So many ways, but two main ways. People tell their stories and they ask the kingdom to come. That's how they plant seeds in the world. They tell their stories and they ask the kingdom to come and to bring order to wherever there's disorder. So how do we do it in our last few minutes? How, how, how do we do it? I don't know. I'm learning alongside you. Don't you, don't you wish your preacher knew more? But I have three things. Three things that I found. And I, with permission to add to them as I learn more. Here's the first one. Stick close to Jesus. I don't have much to say around that other than it's the secret of everything I know. Stick close. You want to see more signs and wonders? Stick close to Jesus. You want to see more of heaven in the world? Stick close to Jesus. Want to understand why people talk about Jesus and it doesn't sound like Jesus? Stick close to Jesus. Number two, 
when you see that God is up to something, join it. Join it. Wherever you see joy infiltrating despair, get yourself in that mix. Wherever you see hope peeking into doubt or disbelief or peace where there's contention, uh, anytime you see that God is up to something, go join it. Go be part of it. When you see bubbles in a park, go play. When you see forgiveness in a coworker where it doesn't make sense, call it out. It doesn't matter if they believe in Jesus. Be like, that shows me Jesus. Call it out. When you are somewhere and, and, and there's some sort of moment and everybody gets that same chill and has goosebumps, call it out. Call out with your words what God is doing. This is the good stuff. Seeing what God is up to and joining it, that's the good stuff, not the scary stuff. I don't know when that became scary. Uh, here's something that happened in kids' ministry last week. It's best to learn from seven-year-olds, right? Um, this happened last week. Uh, Bear Bible, they were doing prayer time, and Bear Bible had a praise, and he raised his hand to say the praise, and his praise was that he had tried pumpkin spice milk from Weigel's for the very first time. Anyone else? <laughs> and he was fired up about it. And then Kingston Coffin hears that Bear's fired up about this, and Kingston Coffin's move is to pray for Bear and to bless that in Bear. And that's what he did. And he prayed, and this is the best prayer I've ever heard. He prayed that, uh, that it would forever taste good in his mouth. Right? Kingston's in like first grade. And he saw that God was doing something in bear through pumpkin spice milk. And he's like, this is evidence that God loves you in this world. I'm going to call it out and I'm going to pray and I'm going to bless it. That's what's happening back there. Might as well do it in here too. Number three. Wherever you see disorder, imagine and pray. I believe with every part of my being, like so much so that I'm not like this is what Jesus says very often, but I believe that Jesus has said this about our church, that one of the marks of Vineyard Springbrook, of this church, is that God wants to fill us with creativity to help bring order in places of disorder in our community. I really believe it. I really believe that the mark of our church would come through the imaginations of people in this room. I was like giggling. I was trying to write down jobs. This room is full of a lot of people who work with people. We have health professionals, so many teachers, so many administrators or former administrators, counselors, principals, social workers, mental health professionals, business and number minds people, people in relational ministry, students, people with calling and gifting. I can't say all of your things, but here's what I can say. You all have things. I know all of you. You have things. And I just feels like God, feel like God wants to use us to imagine ways to intersect our community with more of the good stuff of heaven. I believe that will be our long and lasting mark. So let's imagine. I want the dust of Jesus to cover us in imagination for what our community could be. Imagine and pray. Uh, one of the biggest paradigm shifts for me when I uh, joined up in the vineyard uh, was the idea, there's this vineyard idea that when you pray for someone, you're supposed to do it in that moment. And I hadn't really seen much of that before. Like prayer for me happened in like church meetings or special prayer services or maybe like at the hospital when someone was sick or maybe you circle up and pray before you go on a trip or something like that. But as far as like, you know, in the church, I hadn't really seen this like pray for someone. Like someone would be like, hey, I have a really big test this week. And I remember being in the vineyard the first time someone said, I I'm nervous. I've got this doctor's appointment. And I heard someone say, oh, can I pray for that now? And I was like, oh, I, I didn't know that you were supposed to do that. I thought you were supposed to pray for them later in your room alone when it wasn't weird, <laughs> right? 
or embarrassing. And you can do that. You can pray for them later, alone, in your room, when it isn't weird and embarrassing. But you know what you can also do? You can pray for them in the moment, out loud. And you can pray for anybody. And it doesn't have to be weird. Uh, There's an international leader in the vineyard named Eleanor Mumford. She's a hero of mine. And she says this. She said this in a conference. She said, wherever it is, it doesn't have to be weird. We don't have to shut our eyes and do peculiar things. She's British, so she says peculiar. We don't have to shut our eyes and do peculiar things. We just have to say to somebody, there is a God in heaven. I know that he loves you. Can I pray for you? And what she says is that most of the time people say yes. And if you ask to pray for their kids, they always say yes. So here's what I want to do. We do a say lot every single week. And we, we take a breath and we take a pause. And I want to use that time. And I just want to pray for you. I want to pray for us in this room. And I just want to ask God's spirit to fill us and his kingdom to come. Um, I, I believe what John Wimber said. I think if it, what God is going to do through us, he first has to do to us. And so we're just going to make a little room and let him do some stuff.